Welcome to Dog Save the People, a podcast about how dogs make our lives better. My name is John Bartlett, and I'm your host. Mark Welsh is a copywriter and brand builder who made his way from New Zealand to New York City and accidentally fell into a life of dogs. His first dog, Sweetie, came to him by randomly hopping into a car of a friend of his who was coming to visit him, and eventually she became the center of Mark's life. But it was not only Mark whose heart Sweetie ended up capturing, it was also mine. Sweetie became an unlikely darling of the fashion world, a world I was working in at the time when Mark and I were partners. Sweetie became a fashion industry staple, who was a familiar face at fashion shows and events, and went on to write, with Mark's help of course, a column in Elle magazine, as well as her own book, Sweetie from the Gutter to the Runway. Mark, welcome to Dog Save the People. Thank you, John. Wonderful to be here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, listeners, I've got to tell you, Mark and I have known each other for a long, long time. A dog's age. A dog's age plus. And in a former life, we were actually uh, life partners. And uh, so we have a long history together and a lot of wonderful memories and a lot of funny stories behind us. So... I wanted to invite Mark onto the show because he's got a wonderful story to tell. We have a great kind of story that we want to tell together. It's a story that has evolved over time that I really, it just makes me laugh and smile. So, Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you. And tell me a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? I'm a New Zealander. I'm from a farm town, uh, unlikely as that seems. And as soon as I could type, I fled to Sydney, Australia, where I joined Ogilvy and May, their advertising. And when I was 25, they offered me a transfer to New York, largely because I was the only one still standing after lunch. (laughs) And so I, of course, thrilled to be in New York with my big old afro and a dream and um, arose through the ranks through the years. I was there for almost 18 years altogether. But what happened, as is the case, I think, often with uh, jobs as you become more successful in them, is you do less of what you were drawn to in the first place. So as much as I loved concepting and coming up with ideas and writing, that wasn't happening anymore. I was flying around the world with a huge portfolio bag full of foam core mounted creative concepts, going to focus groups to test the same creative concepts in different cultures. So yeah. it was a real wah-wah sitting in a rented <laughs> conference room in Hong Kong, looking through the two-way mirror, thinking, there's got to be more than this. Right. You know, so there I was at 36, and I'd been in the advertising business with one company for 15 years already. And as a gay man with no responsibilities, I guess, I thought, you know, I've had enough of this. I'm going to try something else. I'm going to jump to the abyss and see what else is out there. By the way, I don't recommend any of your viewers or listeners <laughs> doing being so rash about this. Um, yeah, since then, I've seen the fiscal error of my ways and I'm an actively (laughs) employed freelancer but during my years in advertising it afforded me uh, to buy a country house up in Rhinebeck New York or near Rhinebeck New York John would sometimes visit but in all fairness to him he was more drawn to the nightlife of New York City yeah I was more of a city kid I mean it was in yeah it's in my 20s and early 30s and I, I had trouble kind of appreciating nature at that not that I don't now but I had trouble appreciating appreciating nature back then and so you spent a lot of time up in the country 
by yourself and I with did. friends. I did. I did. Which was fine, uh, especially when Sweetie came into my life. So I yes, was sitting at this... Okay, sorry. So I was sitting at the house um, <laughs> one day waiting for a friend to arrive for dinner. And she pulled into the driveway at the bottom of the house. And apparently, she said, the stray dog just leapt into her car. So she picked it up and brought it into the house. And it was a beautiful 12-pound black, tan, and white mix, primarily black, clearly a mutt, very flighty, uh, flea-bitten, starving, skittish. She was a sad-looking creature. So I did what any New Zealand farm boy would do. I put her in the woodshed for the night. <laughs> <laughs> this, this, was, this was before I developed my love and affinity for uh, animals and dogs particularly. So you, you know, put her in the woodshed. I put her in the woodshed. And then the next morning I took her down to the town clerk's office, Clark clerk's office, uh, which was a brick building on the top of a hill. And there was about five acres of mown lawn around it. And in between me getting her out of the car door and trying to get her into the actual clerk's office she escaped and spent about three hours just racing around this you know mowing acreage with me shrieking after her in pursuit and it really took me several hours to catch her and when I did and took her into the town clerk clerk's office they said what you need to do is really put a sign up at the local deli saying I've found this dog so you can give the rightful owners a chance to come and get her it didn't seem to me like the rightful owners were perhaps pining for her given her state at mm -hmm. that point so I tacked up a little sign at the uh, local deli and then I even offered her to the local handyman and said look I've got this dog um, do you want it and he didn't want the dog right. so I didn't really want a dog at that point and did everything I could do not to have this dog and then eventually I think I started to warm to her and I'm wondering at this point it was because having left advertising there was this great sort of void of nothingness left there and suddenly here's this little creature that really is just in the worst possible shape and she gave me this um, mission if you like to sort of house her and feed her and bring her back to good health and in doing so as I'm sure many many of your listeners and viewers uh, would agree uh, you see the dog that was originally there start to slowly emerge so what had been you know this really quite sad little story slowly this little doggy's personality start to emerge and she was just delightful and uh, so I fell in love with her. So you fell in love with this with this dog, and she slowly emerged, and and her name was well, she didn't have a name at that point. So I remember taking her back to New York City for the first time, and her being completely out of control because the sounds, that just the sensory assault of New York City sure. on this poor little girly that had you know just recently been rescued was too much and the buses and the trucks were too much and it took her a long time to acclimate to city living but when she did she did and I started taking her everywhere and oftentimes uh, that everywhere included places that you were at and I recall being on my way I think to maybe your studio or something one day and this old woman about a hundred yards away saw this dog and I walking down Fifth Avenue and she started, she assumed the crouching position and she get lower and lower and lower and finally she put a hand out to the dog and she says, Sweetie! And so the dog was named Sweetie from that point on. <laughs> Sweetie! Which was perfect. It was, it was perfect. It really suited yes. her. Yeah, so that was her entree to, well, not her entree to New York, but her first trip to New York and then her life in New York and as a woman of fashion, was born. Yes. Inadvertently, but obviously through our relationship and your prominence at that point, particularly in the fashion business. So I had been traveling. I was working, I just started working in Italy at that time. And so you would come and 
hang out there with me when I had some time off and you brought Sweetie with you. Yeah. Because she came to Milan. I think she was, I don't know how many towns and, and countries she was in. She went to St. Bart's. She yeah. went to Milan. She went to Paris. She tried to go back to New Zealand, but the immigration laws were too strict mm-hmm. at that point. Yes. <laughs> no, she traveled a lot and became much loved and much recognized on that crazy fashion circuit of which you remember at that yes. time. She started, you know, hanging around backstage with all of the models and sitting front row at shows and going to fashion restaurants and really sitting there like a better behaved than a human actually sitting at the table just quietly watching proceedings and it got kind of so that it was just very de rigueur to have sweetie at all events and then i recall you had i think it was your first women's wear show in new york city and that was when she got lost do you remember that story yes so before the show starts all of the models are getting dressed and they're all ready to go. They're all in line and they're all in their first outfits. And we're getting ready to start the show and it's my first women's wear show ever. And you come running back, I can't find Sweetie, I can't find Sweetie anywhere. So all the models are on their knees. P.S. They're in eight inch high heels (laughs) with strap on ponytails that go up another four inches. So these Glamazons are about 11 feet tall in bandage dresses and they're crouched on the ground trying to find this mutt. I loved it. It was a great moment. And then they finally found her underneath the... Snack table. Underneath the snack table. With a wedge of brie. (laughs) (laughs) And if I remember correctly, that story, that that story got picked up somewhere. New York Magazine. It was picked up in page six, I think, wasn't it? Page six of the New York Post, which back then was uh, major currency. Yes. And so here we have this story unraveling before our eyes of this girl from the wrong side of the tracks in the rarefied world of fashion turning it upside down and i mean literally yeah literally turning it upside down and as a writer who was looking for his next perhaps opportunity it struck me that sweetie was my ideal muse and that together we could write a fashion column through her eyes that sort of mocked the whole world because it was a very precious world that mocked that whole world but because it was done through a canine nobody could take too much offense exactly and so i mocked up a column and through some people that i knew at l magazine wrangled a meeting with the editor and met her for lunch and pitched the idea and she signed on which was really quite incredible and thrilling of course, at the same time. And Sweetie was there at the lunch. I mean, it's not like Sweetie and I were ever two separate entities. You right. know, I feel like as much as I was driving the train, because she was too young to drive, <laughs> <laughs> as much as I was driving the train, she was very complicit and totally on board with it all and was very excited by all of these interactions with people and things and much adored. And she was, it wasn't me trying to force some character or persona onto this scraggly old animal. It was actually her story evolving and me coming up with a voice to tell it. Yeah. And so it was perfectly in sync. And I think that the editor at the time of Elle saw that and having Elle's uh, credentials behind me, us, gave us great access to a lot of wonderful things. And every month in the back page of the magazine, we would have Sweetie Says. And it was always photographed by the legendary French photographer Gilles Bensimon, who was the creative director for Elle magazine for many, many years. In the beginning, it was a couple of freelance photographers that took her picture. But then as it started to catch on, Gilles was like, I shoot the dog. I'm the only one shoot the dog. And she would 
run to the set, be posed against the no seam, like, where are the lights, guys? Right. There was something weirdly instinctive and joyous about her participation in this whole process. So where else did we go? Goodness, we went to the Oscars. We interviewed all the celebrities there. Harry Winston loaned us a million dollars of diamonds that always came with lots of bodyguards. IMG, the modeling agency, actually signed her on. So when you went into their offices, you would see all of the modeling cards of these famous girls of the day. And then in the middle, it'd be this hairy face. <laughs> Sweetie represented by IMG. So we were, um, we were having a rollicking good time, yes. I must say. And all of this, of course, was uh, leading up to the inevitable book. Yeah. Sweetie was all about that mutt, that little bit of everything. But she always thought that as a result of being a mutt, she was more beautiful and more regal and more fabulous than well, of any... Course any uh, purchased purebred. So, all right, so I'll read you this one called Wigging Out. Long ago, dear reader, when I was little more than a household name, Estee Lauder cornered me at a cocktail party and after plying me with copious pigs in blankets, posed the question on everyone's lips. To whom do you attribute your eerily exotic beauty? She asked, gazing at my face with envy. Well, Estee, I replied, extricating a certain pig from its cozy puff pastry blanket, that would be my many parents. You have more than two, she asked, intrigued. I'm a cocktail canine, I said proudly. I've got the showgirl legs of a miniature pincher and the heaving chest of a corgi. There's a hint of Dandy Dinmont in my hairy midriff and a bit of Great Dane in my behind. Ouch, retorted Estée, spilling her vod vodka gimlet and crossing her legs rather firmly. So you get the picture. <laughs> so great. <clears throat> so wonderful. We did have the... Uh, we did have the ability to mock also fashion designers, which I thought was kind of brilliant. Yes. Because what are they going to do? Come up in arms and say, how dare you mock me? So, right. so the voice was very well established and, yeah. um, at that point, And the column was quite successful and decided we would do a book. And the title of the book was Sweetie, From the Gutter to the Runway, Tantalizing Tips of a Furry Fashionista. And it was 10 chapters of Sweetie's irreverent take on everything from beauty and hair to entertaining and romance. But to really make it work as a book, we had to take her from a physical form and turn her into an illustrated form. Yes. And to make that happen, I was really fortunate in that I had a contact with Ruben Toledo, the great illustrator, and I met with Ruben and I pled our case and thankfully he signed on, which was really a great gift and obviously what made this book as beautiful as it is because... He's an extraordinary illustrator that has the ability to anthropomorphize anything from a dog to a plant and give it human fashionable qualities. So what he did was take this fairly mundane, ordinary mutt and turn her into this like high fashion creature, always like in the best clothes and jewels. And yes. it was hysterical. It was incredible. So with Ruben on board, I went and pitched the book to several publishing houses and Warner Books decided that they wanted to do a deal with us, which I think was probably the highlight of my career and certainly life and, of a certain and probably Sweeties also, sure. I would say at that point. So, yeah. you know, here's this beautiful animal that's transformed my life and whose life I hope I have somewhat transformed. So it was kind of a joyous, wonderful time. And I was writing the chapters, and each day as I would write a chapter, I would go over to Rubens and deliver it to him, and he would do an illustration. And then the next day I'd go and pick up an illustration or two from him, which was really like opening little packages of jewels. Because sure, of for those of you who don't know Ruben, Ruben's work, it's uh, very colorful and boisterous and lively and glamorous. So 
we've got this pile of beautiful illustrations together and text and we're ready to go to print. Sweetie then, never one to forget her humble beginnings, became the spokesman for the ASPCA, promoting pet adoption. Uh, she was also the honorary first lady of the North Shore Animal League America. I remember. Remember that? Yeah. We're constantly, we're out every night going to animal rescue organization fundraisers yeah. uh, of one kind or another. And then the book came out and the publication date was 9-11-2001. So we obviously didn't come out that day, yes. that tragic day. And um, sometime later, re-strategized and did a book tour later and um, went to six different cities, sponsored by Barney's, which was kind of amazing, with windows designed by Simon Doonan in all of these different cities. I should mention earlier that when the book, uh, sorry, when the column was launched, Barney's also gave Sweetie some windows on the Madison Avenue side that celebrated her rags to riches rise, which was really phenomenal and really all all through the generosity of Simon Doonan yet again. So uh, the book, we went on book tour, and it was a lot of fun, but uh, I think we were ready at that point to just stay home for a while. Yeah, but and I remember the book tour, you at the, but the book signings. Yeah, yeah. Sweetie would be sitting on a pillow. Jonathan Adler pillow. And also I went to the stamp maker and had a poor stamp made. And Sweetie just sat there like, hi, yeah. hi. Oh. She was incredibly patient yeah. and adoring, and people would touch her and prod her and everything. Not a problem. She knew, you know, it was time to act like a professional. Absolutely. So how did you, so we were talking about the fact that this dog comes into your life at a certain time when you weren't sure really where you were headed as far as your career, you had left this big corporate job and you knew that you wanted to do something creative. Yes. And you are kind of talking about this, but how did she impact your life? How did she change your life? Well, I mean, it's clearly she gave me purpose. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I think animals do do that, particularly to people that are single uh, that maybe don't have any other responsibilities outside themselves. The idea of being responsible for a dog is a wonderful thing because there's a reason for you to get up and take care of something else outside of yourself. And, you know, not just in New York, all over the world, people live very selfish lives. And to bring a dog into that life, particularly one that needed rescuing and she needed complete rehabilitation, is a great joy. And I found it to be extremely rewarding and um i think she did too i remember i remember you'll laugh at this one day we were laying sitting there on the sofa together viewers you'll understand what i mean by this when you're curled up with your dog gazing into their eyes so it was like eight o'clock at night the fire's crackling away of course you weren't there you're in italy or something Mm -hmm. and i'm gazing into her eyes and we held this gaze it must it felt like almost a minute or more and it was so intense and i thought oh my God, we're having a really serious spiritual connection. And then she just yawned. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. But, you know, she became, uh, I became um, enmeshed in each other's lives uh, completely. And uh, so when she died, of course, it was beyond grueling. And you actually, it was in Provincetown when that happened. You came up to say goodbye to her. Yeah. I think you were in New York City, as did a number of other people, actually. And I think that's a wonderful thing that, People that have had animals and that have said goodbye to animals understand that it's a very sacred and special relationship and it should be given that amount of seriousness. And, um, you know, for people that that have human kids, I'm sure that, you know, they would feel terrible if anything happened to their kids. And for people that have dog kids, it's equally as profound, I think. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was sobbing on the phone with our friend Margaret so hard that I dropped the phone. Yeah. And I heard her yelling, yelling at me through the phone, snap out of it. <laughs> because it was kind of hysterical, you know. Yeah. No, um, it was, it's, I remember. And 
the <clears throat> the beautiful thing with Sweetie was that the vet came to the house where you were staying. She did. Yes, this she, was in Provincetown at a beautiful yeah. house that I'd rented for many years, and she was very happy. At, she loved it there, so yeah. she was able to pass away in a place that felt and with all these people around her, yeah. who loved her, which is all any of us would like. I think for right. our last moments on earth. And it was extremely peaceful. Like uh, I'd never had a dog put to sleep in my yeah. ears before, but I was surprised and relieved at how peaceful the whole it is. thing was. But it's, it, I mean, to get to that point, it's as terrible. everybody knows, is the most harrowing thing on earth. I mean, how did you feel about all that? Because, you know, we had, we had had this dog together, even though I was the primary caregiver of the dog, given your schedule. And also, I was most visible as her owner because I was the whole Sweetie show was happening. But for you, how did you feel as somebody that was no longer in the relationship with, with me in which you'd had the dog, but the dog had now died? So what sort of feelings did that bring up? Thank you for asking. It brought up actually a lot of feelings because she was such a glue that held us together in so many ways. And it was something that you and I shared. So mm -hmm. even after we were no longer together, we were able to really share yeah. the love of this dog. Mm. And I felt very close to you when mm. she passed. Mm. And no, it was very emotional. It was, it was really the first time that I had experienced that as yeah. well, yeah. about having to put a dog to sleep. In what ways do you think that we can learn from dogs in our life? I think it all goes back to their never-ending patience and loyalty and ability to just be still with you. You know, those are qualities that we don't have, particularly, you know, loyalty is a tough one too. In a city like New York City, you know, you never know really whether somebody's loyal or not mm -hmm. in business or personal uh, circumstances sometimes. There's something about that dog where you just know it's solid, you know? It's the real thing. There's no BS. It's the real thing. So... Yeah, I like. I think that idea of just being patient and quiet and devoted, and you know, looking outside of ourselves. You know, yeah, we can learn everything from them. Table manners, <laughs> fashion <laughs> tips, fashion tips. Really, how to get a book deal. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful to reminisce over a lot of our wonderful memories that we shared yeah, together. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the whole experience was extraordinary, and I'm glad that we got to share it with your listeners, because even though it was some time ago, I think it's very pertinent to today, too, where, you know, somebody there is somebody looking for a purpose, and a dog comes along, and the purpose is right there. And, um, and so I was, I was, I'm thrilled that we've been able to share our story with you. And yeah. we love your show and Thank you everything so much. that it stands for. So bring on more stories about dog saving people. We love it. Mark was at a time in his life when he was really questioning what to do next. He had left a big job in advertising. He was sort of on a personal quest to figure out what to do next in his life. And along comes Sweetie. And what was so wonderful to watch was how Mark was transformed by this relationship with this little dog. This little dog who came from the streets. And it was wonderful to see how... She inspired this new voice in him. She was his muse. They went everywhere together, and he became a different person and inspired him in a way that he would never have seen coming. I had never really been around rescue dogs before, and I grew up with labs, and dogs were always a part of my life, but it wasn't until Sweetie. She was really the first dog that I fell in love with as an adult. And there was something about her. She, we didn't know where she came from. She was found on the street. She ended up becoming this wonderful, wonderful companion to both Mark and me. 
And she introduced me to the self that loves dogs and really cares for them. But there was something just so special about Sweetie. She had this otherworldly presence that I think everybody sees in their own dogs. But I saw it in Sweetie, and it was something that I will never forget. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dog Save the People, a podcast about how dogs make our lives better. This show is a production of As It Should Be, a content studio, and it's made with the support of our producer and editor, Jack Summer. Special thanks to our composer and neighbor, Daniel Lampert, for creating the music for the show. I hope you enjoyed the episode. You can subscribe to Dog Save the People on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this show, please leave a review or rating. New episodes come out every Tuesday, so see you next week for another episode from Dog Save the People. You can also check out the Tiny Tim Rescue Fund, my foundation, at johnbartlettny.com. Enjoy a walk with your dog and make it a great day for both of you.